Hello and welcome back to another episode of 99 Problems. But I'll say one and the reason I'm laughing is because Michelle forgot to press record the first time we started recording this and she's just did a big thumbs up to tell me that she is definitely recording this now. Hi, so I'm welcome here. to the extremely professional 99 Problems but Boss Ain't One. The podcast that helps you tackle your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Casey Carlisle, and I run a freelance business called The Wheel Exists, where I do Squarespace web design and training. Hi, my name's Michelle Pratt, and my business is Dive Deeper Development, and I do personal development training and coaching. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the subject of growth and whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, or a neutral thing for freelancers. So one of the most popular books um, of 2019 was a book called The Company of One by someone called Paul Jarvis that I may have mentioned before. Uh, number one fan. Um, so in this book, he challenges the conventional idea that success is measured by growth, especially when growth is measured by having a certain number of employees. And and that's something, I don't know, Michelle, if you've come across this, that's certainly something I've come up against when I've been talking to other businesses. I've had people say to me, in a really nice and encouraging way, you know, have well-meaning people and lots of people have had this, that as soon as you're kind of moderately successful and possibly even before you're successful, oh, you should take on some staff, you should grow, set up a limited company, create an agency. Yeah, um, definitely. And also, I've also come up against the idea that, again, that success is measured by growth when I've been applying for certain types of work. So I had an instance recently where um, I wanted to be involved with this organisation that do mentoring and support for people in school and university to help them kind of understand the options available as a freelancer and to set up small businesses and kind of give them a bit of information that, you know, you and I never had when we were in school in uni. Yeah, um, but the, their criteria to be an eligible role model was that you had to be VAT registered and have at least two employees, and so they were defining success by by how much you had grown as a company, by whether how much money you earned and how much how many employees you had, and I just thought that was such a shame because I feel like there's there are other ways of being successful in your business that aren't just measured by that metric. So. Yeah. So I guess like what I, what I think it'd be interesting to talk about on this episode would be what are the options if if you're somebody who's kind of thinking of growing what can you do and when is growth good when is growth bad when is it appropriate when is it not and how are some things what are some things we can do to figure out whether we want to grow or not yeah definitely Kate and when I when I first started I think I, I, I had a meeting with someone from the business growth hub and uh, one of the questions they ask you is how many how many employees do you do you intend to take on in the next sort of 12 months or the 24 months so I think you're quite right when you're applying for funding sometimes people assume that you're going to grow in terms of uh, other employees and if you're not going to do that then uh, you might be called a lifestyle business which I don't think yeah. Yeah. is meant as an insult but i do think it's a little bit insulting it's like no it's, it's almost like oh it's your little hobby we'll give you some yeah. pocket money for it i'm not like... selling tupperware i like actually to be fair tupperware <laughs> so is, is 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 a legit business i'm that's not knocking business yeah. i'm not i'm not knocking direct sellers but i'm just saying like that that's what they call it a lifestyle business and it, it, it's not that and the other one is that you know they assume that you want to apply for funding and get investment for premises or whatever at, which is, is great for businesses that want it so if you think about all the business 
business lounges or the business startup hubs in the banks for for sure uh, and quite often funding groups that they are looking for like massive capital injections or they're looking for staff and you're quite right now that's fine if that's what you're looking for there are other ways to grow so one of the things we'll look at absolutely is um is the title i like it katie should i stay or should i grow that's what we'll look at here yeah exactly and i think what's what's nice nowadays is that that actually a few years ago kind of being the dissenting voice and wanting to stay as a solo freelancer that was kind of seen as a bit weird but not now more and more people are talking about it and I think Paul Jarvis has done a really good job of kind of kick-starting that conversation I remember having a chat with somebody and they I had this conversation about oh no actually I don't want to grow I don't want to take on staff I don't want to have an agency I'm quite happy just being myself and kind of having just enough for what I need and not aspiring to be, you know, the next big agency thing or the next big company. Um, and I was explaining to her and then I got home and got this email from Paul Jarvis, which basically articulated all of my thoughts and I forwarded to her and said, this is what I was trying to say and making a complete hash of. And he says it really well. Um, and that, and there was so much interest in it. That's why the book came about because all these people suddenly started going, Oh yeah, that's me. I I feel the same, but I've thought it was just me. No one else was really talking about it. So it's it's nice now that there's been much more of a conversation about it over the last few years. Um so I guess the first question is yeah, is is growth bad? Yeah, and, and of course growth growth isn't bad. And for some fun people the ambition of course is to grow the business to a, to a mega mega company and sell it on for millions of pounds, which uh, is 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 a good thing of course if you want to do it. But I think uh, growth is fine but you know Katie we talk about this where you talk about uh, in many other episodes we talk about your why and the question for me is is why would you want to grow but also what does growth mean for you and as already pointed out that can mean any number of things so I think it growth bad no of course not but what does it mean and, and what what will that give you when you get it I guess you're right that's a really good point in terms of what is growth to you as well and it might mean different things to different people so it might actually mean for some people growth might mean personal growth you know it's learning new skills it's developing I know for me one of the things that has enabled me to stay freelancing for as long as I have one beforehand the longest I lasted at a job was three years and I've been freelancing for six now one of the reasons I ended up leaving previous work was because I felt like, like kind of personally and professionally, I'd kind of reached a bit of a plateau and I was getting bored almost. And, you know, I wasn't having enough challenges or developments, or if it were challenges, it was the kind of the wrong challenges. Whereas now I'm freelance, there's so many different opportunities for me to grow in terms of my skills, in terms of how I run the business. I'm always learning and I get to control that, which is amazing. And so for some people, growth isn't necessarily measured by commercial success it could be how you're growing as a as a kind of person and a business owner and then of course there's the more traditional growth metrics of staff and money which is great but you could be growing in terms of the number of customers or even the number of engaged customers I can't remember if we talked Michelle before about the thousand true fans idea on the yeah podcast. we might have mentioned it once I think um so if if you're interested in it just search for um, a thousand true fans it's basically an article that was written years and years ago but every so often somebody will kind of find it and write a thought piece about it and it kind of comes up on the internet again and it's basically um somebody saying to be successful you don't need a million 
fans or a million customers i think it was originally written about musicians you know you don't need a million customers you don't need a hundred thousand you don't need ten thousand you just need one thousand true fans and by true fans he means the people who you know if you if you put out an article they read it if you do a tweet they like it if you sell a product they buy it you know for musicians it was if they go you know if they do turn up and do a tour or a gig they attend it um and a thousand is still quite a big number but i think that was he was saying you know you could be extremely successful if all you have is a thousand true fans you can still do very well and actually have work on having a really engaged customer base that really resonates with everything you do rather than spreading yourself too thinly trying to acquire a million followers but then not all of them are that interested in what you do and you're having to kind of dilute a bit about what you're talking about just to make sure you're not offending anybody and all kinds of things like that. So I think that was a really interesting way of saying, and for you, it might be 102 fans that you need. You might not need a thousand. Might, you might need 10. You know, if you count true fans as companies that you work with and do projects with who really respect you and, and like how you work and you really enjoy working with them, you might just need 10 organizations to do enough business to sustain your business all year round. You know, it depends on what kind of work you do. So I think again, looking at the number of people you want to engage with, the number of followers, again, what what's a realistic and valuable metric for you to use to define how you want to grow yeah, as a business? Definitely. And I think, I, I, well, I probably because I come from the coaching and sort of training world, with training, people assume that once you get successful, you want to run a training consultancy, which is great, but it feels like a lot of hard work to me. But actually, because of the, the nature of work of coaching or training, actually, quite, quite often what people do is they have like a purpose to the work that they do. And they have a bit of a mission, if you like. And they have, they come across a model, they come across a kind of way of working, which really helps improve people's lives. So their measure of success, it, when they want to to grow or when they get beyond just uh, swapping time for money with clients it's not how do I take on other people or how do I grow this brand it's a question is how do I reach more people with my message how do I reach if I know there's millions of people out there with a problem how do I get the solution in the hands of as many people as humanly possible so it's a great way to upscale and it's a great way to extend your reach and add new challenge but you don't necessarily have to become um, you know a business which an SME business for example so there are options if it's depending on what that growth is for you and like I say why you're doing it and I again following from our last episode why are you doing it for you and why are you doing it for your customers as well and they're two big whys in there which are use uh, worth finding out yeah that's such a good point actually that you don't necessarily have to add more services or change your services to fit in with the model of growth that people expect from you you can just work out ways to actually reach more people so you know i suppose the most obvious thing that people do around that is creating an education product so whether that's an online course or a downloadable pdf or webinars or anything like that anything that allows you to take your existing knowledge and kind of then and i i hate the if you've, if you've listened to this podcast before you've probably heard me say how much i hate the phrase passive income because i think it's anything but passive um but what people traditionally would call passive income in that you create something that can in the quotes sell while you sleep so you've got a product that can scale so you put an amount of time into it and then you if if 10 people buy it compared to 100 people buying it it's roughly the same amount of time that you've put into it so you with for the same amount of input time you can reach a wider audience of course 
you generally don't get to the point where you can do the training and the education until you've done the doing. And I think there's a few people that want to almost skip that step sometimes and go straight to the, I'm going to create a, an online product before I've actually done the experience and the real world stuff. Yeah, everybody's got an online course. So I know it's like, it can seem a bit passe at the moment about how to do stuff, but like you know the typical one is that you either do something then you can like you know do a group for coaching for example do coaching one-to-one coaching to groups coaching from the stage you can then do like an online video course an interactive program there's the books there's so many different ways and I think they apply Katie to most businesses there's ways to extend your reach for sure but like you say you do do need to know your stuff in order in order to do that as well definitely yeah and I think with with that option i would say don't just assume that there's a market there either so i suppose one of the things to be or let's look at a few things to be aware of when you do grow however that is for you so i think the first thing would be deciding that because you're doing well in one area that you can that you will automatically be successful if you launch a new product without actually kind of doing any research or or kind of consultation with people um so I think the things that businesses that do upscale in that sense do really well is they interact with their audience, they chat to their customers and they find out what their problems are and they find out what their needs are. So if you're thinking of growing and you're not sure exactly what direction to go in, then ask the people who are, maybe you know, ask your fans, who, who are your, who would be, if maybe you've only got five true fans, but ask them, ask them what they would want to see from you and then reach out slightly wider to people that could become fans and ask them what they would be interested in and start by actually engaging with your audience. So again, that's something, I mean, let's just call this the Paul Jarvis appreciation episode and have done with it. But something that he does really well is he will send out regular surveys to people where he asks them, what are they worried about? What do they need help with? You know, what what are they struggling with? And he will then create products that answer those questions because he knows that there's enough people who have been, you know, if enough people have the same question and they're willing to say that to somebody, then there's probably a market for the answer. Um, so, so I think definitely a bit of research before. Yeah. Okay. I think you've touched you've you've touched upon something else there as well, which is your skill set. So, like you say, if you assume that you're good at one thing, don't assume that if you then decide to grow or expand, you're automatically going to be good at other stuff. So, if you want to take on staff or associates, could be another good way of doing it. That's fantastic. But not everybody wants to manage other people. So, quite often I speak to people that say, "Look, I'm really busy," and then you say to them, well, "Is it time to outsource?" And the amount of freelancers I speak to who take the view I do not want to manage other people and having managed other people many times in my life I can tell you that it's it's a steep learning curve so I can completely understand <laughs> why other, some most freelancers actually I speak to generally don't want to manage others so you will need people management skills if you're going to involve other people now I, I don't think that should put you off and actually I think there's a few more people that could probably outsource or at least work with others on an associate basis without necessarily taking on staff I think people assume taking on staff you could actually get a contract set up and and just outsource to someone as a, as a, as a, as an associate, it does require some skill, but it's worth investing the time. But if you know, you don't have that skill set, don't do it. Um, the other one as well, like you say, you can create an education product to spread the love more widely, 
But if you're not a great speaker or if you're not a great um, trainer, and I do think there's more to training or educating people than simply speaking knowledgeably or loving the sound of your own voice, that is a skill set too. Again, it's worth, one, always worth developing, but if that really isn't your thing and that's just not you, then again, it may not be the right way to expand. So Katie, you're right. Make sure you've got the audience there and people willing to pay for the thing that you want to expand out on, but make sure it suits your skill set. And again, coming back to strengths, coaching so i mentioned before um not just do you have the skill but actually don't, would it give you some joy would you really get a buzz out of expanding in that area so not all of us are great with numbers not all of us are great teachers not all of us are great managers and actually if it's not you then you may need to consider whether that is the right direction to grow in yeah i think definitely and just kind of picking up on a couple of things that you said firstly we don't really ever sell stuff on the, on this podcast but one of michelle's skill sets is teaching other people how to package what they know and turn it into an education or a workshop so if that's something you recognize isn't one of your strengths then have a chat with Michelle about it because that's one of the things you're trying to expand on and one of the areas you want to grow in isn't it and one of the skills that that you're not great at is like singing your own praises so I'm going to do it for you yes tell about tell people about this product because I think sounds amazing that you're going to basically help people take what they do and turn it into a, a kind of workshop to teach other people how to do it yeah thank you I've, I've started out with a couple of freelancers already and they really appreciate it so yeah so there's but you can develop the skills just think but it's an investment of your time and your effort and so whichever direction you want to grow in bear in mind you're probably going to need a bit of expertise whether that's from someone who's great with numbers someone who's been ahead that road ahead of you or whether it's some formal education uh, so bear that in mind as well other training providers are available yeah they're not so good <laughs> but yeah they do exist <laughs> And then the other thing you said, Rochelle, was, of course, about taking on staff. And I think that that is the thing that, like you say, the all the kind of business support networks, their funded is kind of funding is kind of predicated on the idea that more staff equals more employment and therefore better economy, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where they get the money from. So if you're going through one of these business support hubs, you will find that pressure and you might find it from other areas as well. So I think one thing to be really mindful of is I've come across a few companies now that have gone down the road of taking on employees and they've had you know years sometimes of success where they've they've had that work coming in and then all it takes is a little bit of a downturn and all of a sudden you've got people's wages to pay and you've got those that commitment that you've made to people um, and not to say that it always works out badly like so many times it works out really well and companies you know, scale really well. But I have I have heard of, of three separate people who've had to basically end up letting people go because they've almost scaled up too quickly or it wasn't the right thing to do, but it was what they thought that they should do. And then they were scrabbling around, taking on projects that weren't a good fit just to try and pay the wages of the staff because their staff were like family and they really wanted to be able to keep providing those staff with a job and, and you know, give them the right wage and everything. But ultimately, it just, you know, economic downturns, changes, competition, whatever, meant that, that didn't happen. So I think just recognise the commitment that you would be taking on if you do take on staff other than on a kind of fixed term contract and just just know that, yeah, it's kind of then becomes a, a different level of responsibility yeah um, oh god katie I, I spent a lot of time in co-working spaces this week and i do hear people at the desk because they're quite close together aren't they the desks and you hear people on the, yeah. on the de- table next to you talking and honestly there are some places where i i hear the staff talk about the way they're being managed and uh, although the business is clearly 
getting business in, getting money in, getting contracts in, the staff ain't happy. And um, this uh, seems to be some real issues. So I sat next to a girl yesterday moaning at great length at how nothing worked and everything was flawed. So either she's very <laughs> negative or things aren't being managed well. <laughs> so it's something it's something to bear in mind. In my industry, working on an associate basis works. And I, I don't think that term is used a lot elsewhere, but it, rather than a contract, I mean, it's a bit like... It's the business re- equivalent of friends with benefits as opposed to a relationship, you know? Like, you put a contract <laughs> in place. So you do have a contract. It's all above board. It's all perfectly proper. Um, but you agree the basis. So basically, you you know, the contract will say that you can get... you Don't copy and paste one offline. You can. There's plenty of companies out there that will provide these contracts professionally, but for a fee, but it's not extortionate. They are aimed at small businesses. But the agreement basically says they don't guarantee you work. You don't guarantee to work for them. You are not an employee for tax purposes, um, but um, you know when the contract worked is offered. You know here's how it works, and also um, whose intellectual property it is. Blah 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 blah. So you you dot your eyes and cross your t's, but then you only offer work. You know you make a letter of offer of work to someone they accept, and you can do it on a very casual basis. So if you have another web designer or a copywriter or a programmer or something, you can take people on for a project for example and only offer a contract for a fixed period or you could do a very casual friends with benefits approach which is um i've been offered this work it's this amount of days i'll pay you this amount per day on the day rate it's expensive in the short term but it saves you the overheads of staff so you can take on more work with more resource without taking on the overheads and in the short term or for for a, a temporary upsurge in business this could be a good way to serve bigger customers quicker but without um, having to grow your business. You could keep it quite small, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, like collaborations, I guess, is an even less formal. Yes. I won't say the equivalent word (laughs) for, 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 for that same thing. Like, yeah, kind of. So I will sometimes work with copywriters or designers, depending on the project. And so I've got this kind of little, you know, circle of, of people that I work with and I am part of a circle of people that other people work with. So there's a, you know, there's a copywriter who often gets in touch with me and says, I'm doing some marketing and some copywriting for this company, but I can't really do a decent job on their current, you know, I can't really market people to go to their current website because it's not going to convert very well. Can can you do their website and I'll do the copy for the pages? And that's great because that makes my, makes my life easier. Similarly, I've got a graphic designer who, who I'll kind of recommend for projects and we at the moment how we do it is all for all these projects we're very transparent to the client that whilst you're kind of getting both of us as a bit of a package and that you know that like I will liaise separately with the designer or with the copywriter um, and then kind of present a unified front to the client that we are very much separate businesses and so we're not it's different to the associates thing in that we are we're separately invoicing the clients yeah. and we're very transparent that they're working with two separate businesses but they get the convenience of knowing that the two of us you know have already worked together we work well together we get you know we get good results from it and it saves the client from having to try and connect two people that otherwise don't know each other and might have different ways of working and different experiences and we make sure that our rates are sort of comparable so it's you know it's not like they're paying a ridiculous amount for the design and then a pittance for the website or anything like that um and so that's something that I kind of yeah I think I want to do more of and I think for me that's my way that I would want to grow that seems more sustainable to me because it means I keep my independence as a business I'm not sort of I am vouching for the 
I am vouching for them in the sense that I'm recommending them for projects just like they are for me, but I'm, it's not my job to monitor their output. So if they do a crap job for one client, that's not my fault. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, it doesn't come back to me other than just through my, my recommending them. It kind of, you know, it makes me look a bit bad if that was to happen, but it, it doesn't, it's not something where I'm having to manage the copywriter or I'm having to manage the designer. And I would only work with people that were quite proactive so that I didn't have to chase them for stuff. And I think that they find the same with me. So I think we all share very similar values. We have a very similar approach to business and that's why it works. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the client gets a specialist in each subject as well. And that can have advantages because you're not having one company say, oh, hey, we do every bit of marketing. We do SAO, we do branding, we do copy, we do all this. You know, you, you get um, you get the specialist in each subject and each person has a track history as well. So some companies are really happy to work that way too. You can do a collaboration where you go all in and really put in a joint bid for, for a piece of work as well, where you would work more as one unit. Uh, but then that can give you backup too because there's two of you then you share the risk you share the brain space i suppose the decision making and that can and then you can offer a complimentary services as well so there's many ways to to go about it a bit like uh, kfc and pizza hut have just collaborated on a popcorn chicken pizza so this is the kind of thing we're going two brands into one that's what we're going for here ah, i didn't know about that looks right it's interesting yeah it looks really rank yeah but, uh, it sounds great <laughs> So I think with, you know, obviously with this, with growth, there's things to bear in mind. And I think, you know, it's not just about that. It's not necessarily even about that growth is bad, therefore stay small to avoid the bad stuff. There are some real benefits to staying small and being a freelancer or, you know, just being a small business. Um, so, so, I mean, firstly, the independence is great. So if, you know, if you have staff or if you have colleagues or a team or if you have investors and you're growing that way, then you are slightly less independent than if you're just a freelancer. So with as freelancers, you get to sort of, you know, take on the work that you want to do. You get to move your company in the direction that you want. You just got that freedom. And for me, one, one of the things that I always say when people try and suggest growing in certain ways, I always say like, I'm such a commitment phobe when it comes to work. So that's why I, I've only got one retainer client, client and I don't, because one of the ways I could grow would be to take on more retainer work, but I don't like it because I'm a commitment phobe. And I like the idea that at any, any moment's notice, I could just swan off for a month and it would be fine. And my one retainer client would be completely fine with me doing that as well. And I know that. So as long as, you know, like I give it some notice and everything. And so I think that's one of the things that for me, it's that that freedom and independence is why I don't want to grow in the traditional way, because whilst there are companies and actually my retainer client is actually the people that I used to work with and they, they've got a few employees and she is currently trying to do an experiment and she's trying to get some funding to do it as a kind of university research piece where she basically hands over the business to her team, which includes a big chunk of interns as well. So it's not always just the permanent employees, where she hands over the business to the basically the, the up and coming new generations for a year and sees what happens with it. And she just basically takes a step back, which I think would be so cool to see very what happens. Yeah, exactly. So there's some businesses that are being really innovative and actually, so then she could have that independence and take a step back, but it's taken her, you know, 15 years to get to that point of growing the business and setting up enough processes that she feels comfortable that if she stepped away, they wouldn't completely drive her business into the ground. Um, but so I think that's that's one of the benefits. And I know, M Michelle, what, what are some that you've kind of found in terms of 
freelance just, just your own inc- just your own inclination like i didn't I, I i left a company i didn't want to work for that big cumbersome juggernaut that couldn't turn around or change direction very quickly if it needed to but i also hate the monotony of like just the, the bad things that happen in large numbers so uh, the emails the messaging systems the meetings about meetings the project meetings the conference calls all of the trappings of a large business i just don't like that so i i would see myself collaborating or maybe working as a sm- very very small like group of th- four or five people max but the minute you start to get too cumbersome i think you lose that ease that flexibility that agility and i don't want to go back to then because the minute you go bigger than that you need to have certain systems or processes in place in order to run it which i'm actually really good at and, and worked with very well for years it just bores me so that would be the thing for me what kind of working environment do you do you want or can you stand and i don't think i can stand to uh, work for another system uh, or organization again yeah that's a really good point actually and we'll talk in a minute about if you're going to grow how what is the sustainable way to do it and actually i think getting those processes in place early on is probably a big part of it um i think for me as well i like having the direct relationship with my clients and if if you know if i was to grow either by taking on staff or outsourcing i would lose that connection and actually it would then be me just getting that kind of i'd get the sort of second hand information for you know whoever i was outsourcing to but one of the things that i think works well for me is the is is the, the relationship and we've talked about this in previous episodes as i you know I always have really good relationships with my clients uh and, and i think i would really miss that personal element of the work and being able just to have a nice chat to them and things like that um and and you know even just I, I for freelance folk I used to have a virtual assistant who was amazing and I would still have had her but she decided to change from doing VA work to more copywriting stuff and uh, but she would she would do some tweets for me um for freelance folk which was brilliant because some of the stuff she thought of was great and I wouldn't have thought of it but one of the things that and I thought you know great this is the way to grow I can outsource to her I can grow my my audience whilst I work on other things but I felt really disconnected and I'd find that people were applying to stuff and I had no idea who they were and I hadn't didn't really know what they were talking about so I had to go and like read the original thread and see what tweets she's done because in a perfect world I'd have pre-read them but I, I didn't and so it was then yeah I was kind of didn't feel like I was engaging as much with the audience because I was that sort of one step removed from them so I think that's what I like about being small um and of course if it's just you then all the money comes to you and doesn't have to be split amongst other people but I guess if you if those are the people are earning more then you ultimately earn up you know you end up with more money if if the growth works well yeah um so I mentioned earlier about growing. If if growth is right for you, then that could be great. So what are some what are some things to think about? If if you've decided actually, do you know what, I've got to the point where I'm doing really well and I can see lots of opportunity, what are some sustainable things or ways to think about if you going to grow sustainably yeah Katie I think we've, we've covered a few I think one of the ones for me is think about what does growth mean for you so we've mentioned a few different ways to grow so financially staff expanding your business and so on and so forth so think about the way that you want to grow first of all so I think there's almost like this personal internal reflection bit and um, there's also that thing about whether or not people 
want more with it there's enough demand for what you want to do more of i think to sustain it okay i'm going to throw in a couple of bits i'm going to say the really boring stuff so i would definitely speak if you've got yeah if you've got a bank manager who manages your account i would speak to someone about the financials i think if you are thinking of growing and uh you're thinking of raising funds there are many different ways to raise funds so loans from banks your own cash injection crowdsourcing is incredibly popular uh what so think about the different ways of getting money but i would also consider um the, the potential costs it's probably going to cost a lot more than you think if you do want to take on staff which is fine it shouldn't be a barrier you can charge accordingly if you can take on more work but do um speak get some professional advice or a mentor and see make sure you're accurately projecting the costs and think about what happened in the downturn like you katie i know people that took on staff and have really crippled themselves or left them themselves with very little income because they had to pay the staff i would also say if you are taking on uh, staff or taking on bigger clients or contracts please do get a legal contract in place so get yourself a terms of business and if you're working with other people always set out a contract or at least something in writing which establishes how the two of you are going going to work together and then um so i think the legal and the financial stuff and then also just the experience as well i'd speak to someone who's been a bit further down that road and see if you uh, who's done the type of growth that you want to do and see what lessons you can do first and katie you mentioned surveys to existing clients yeah don't cannibalize your existing business uh, in the pursuit of growth make sure you do it sustainably and i would suggest that doing it in small small ways it's like proof of concept would be a great way to do it so if you've got a bigger product, yeah like the pro- minimum viable product yeah, yeah so if you've got like a slightly bigger you're pursuing a slightly bigger contract than before or a slightly bigger client than before then take people on on a collaboration basis or an associate basis so that you don't have that permanent headcount or you don't have any permanent assets keep it quite agile to to begin with and then um you can work out whether that that it, that really is for you don't go all in i spoke to someone the other week who, who was going to take on this massive piece of work in the tens of tens of thousands and she was talking about paying staff up front and all this stuff i was like whoa 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 back up um yeah make get the client to pay you in installments so that when you pay those people they're covered for their time up front she was talking about taking a loan it's like yeah don't don't put yourself in that much debt if the outcome isn't certain so it's I, that's the boring stuff from me Kay. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, if you're going to go down that route, then if you're not already set up as a limited company, then it makes sense to protect yourself by setting up as a limited company. Um, So if somebody is getting kind of a lot of pressure to grow, and they're not sure if they want to do it yet, can you think of some tips for how they could kind of say nicely to those people, actually, we're not quite ready? Yeah, I mean, you could just, I, I just, just very politely just say, um, actually, I'm, I, I've got my own reasons for being in business and I'm actually sticking true to those and it's working really well for me, thanks. So that would probably be the way I'd do it. Like I say, be clear on your why and if actually when you relay that to people, I think that's fine. I, I, I think it's less about how to communicate it to people. I think it's a little bit more about um, feeling this pressure to grow if you know what I mean Katie I think um Mm. I know when I first started there was people being very snobby about exchanging time for money and looking down on that but actually most people work to live and if you can fund your life by doing work you enjoy it's pretty straightforward and it pays your bills then what's wrong with that yeah exactly um I think one of the one of the questions is that is asked you know ask yourself what is enough um I actually can't remember if it was either it was either Paul Jarvis or Kate Flanders that that did a post about this recently um it was I think it was Paul Jarvis because this is the Paul Jarvis appreciation episode um 
and it was about saying what what's actually enough. Um, and I think sometimes again we feel this pressure to to like earn more every year and uh, and kind of surpass ourselves and and you know beat last year and and ten x your income. You know that's thankfully that phrase seems to have died out a little bit. But but last year and the year before it was such a kind of internet buzzword. And it's like, do you need to do that? Like actually, do you need to? So like work out what you need and you can add on what you want on top of that as well but you know within reason most of us probably didn't go freelance to like make mega books and so if you're if you're kind of going right okay what's the basics that I need to cover the bills and feel comfortable and not be in debt okay that's the minimum what's the amount that I would need in order to go on some holidays have some savings, maybe do a pension or something. What's that amount? And actually, if you can know what that amount is, then you can just work up to that amount. And I've heard of people who will basically work to hit the amount that they need, that's enough for them, and then stop and then go and do something. Like Michelle, I'm sure you had a friend that did something like I that. Had a co- I had a coaching client that just said, uh, we sat down and worked it all out and they just went, yeah, this is what I want to earn. This is what I need for my, to fund my lifestyle. It wasn't even like, what's to cover the bills? It's like, here's the life I want. And as soon as I've got that, I want to go traveling. So literally that that client spent six months of the year working, six months traveling, and that was it. <laughs> Lather, rinse, yeah. repeat, job done. So if you can work out what enough is, then you can work out how much you need to grow, if you need to grow but then you can stop and you don't have to keep growing and keep growing and, and creating more stress and taking more time away from the things that you want or then going down that road of having to find more people and then everything. So I think that's just one thing to, to kind of consider. Um, sometimes it's hard to know when it, what enough is. So I think you have to kind of sit down and really be quite honest with yourself about, you know, the trappings of, again, the pressures of society of like, oh, I need a bigger house, oh, I need a better car, and oh, I need to do this. But actually kind of being very honest with yourself, what what would actually be enough yeah. that you could then go but, yeah but lifestyle as it. well you know how many hours do you want to do you want to work so exactly. pe- people talk about what they want to gain but what are you prepared to, to to sacrifice in order to do it to give up and and so they like, say so for a lot of us i mean in the old old days the 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 thing was you went to work for an employer you you worked your socks off and then at the end you got your pension and then you could have fun these days most people want to enjoy their life while they're working and they don't want to wait to retirement yeah. so it's important to keep sight of that as well Absolutely, yeah. I'd rather I'd rather work for longer, but doing less work per week or per month. Work, but work for kind of you know into my older years. Whilst as long as I can work, I want to work. But what I call work isn't what other people would call work as well. Yeah. But you know, I'd want to do something to keep me from going mad that generated some kind of monetary value. And to me, that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So. As with all of our episodes, we like to wrap up by just kind of taking what our favourite tips or tidbits are from the episode. So, Michelle, what would be your one tip in relation to growth that you would say to people? I think my big one for me is just work out what growth is for you and actually what why do you want it? And then perhaps look at ways to grow but in the sense that, that you want to grow. So is it is it reaching more people with your message? Is it earning more money? Is it taking on staff? Is it, you know, it, it, increasing your portfolio of services? What does growth mean? And, and just be really clear on that. And I think if you can do that, you can find out what you need from there. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably have said the same thing, so I shouldn't have asked you first. But my other thing would be um, 
probably to if if you're finding that you're a bit kind of stagnated and you feel like yeah I kind of I want to do something more I kind of feel the need to grow just to develop the business and take it to its natural next stage um I think maybe the reaching out reaching out to other people so customers but also um friends of the freelancers um you know have a chat with other people and and run your ideas by them and see what that initial reaction is before like you say spending tons of money getting a loan out doing all of that only to find it doesn't really have much of a market. That's, I think, what I would say. Yeah. Um, So thank you very much, as ever, for joining us for this episode. And, of course, if you want to make sure you get notified whenever we release a new one, then subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us or say hi on Twitter, then we are 99problemscast. That's the number 99problemscast, as in podcast. And otherwise, I will see you along with Michelle for the next episode of 99 Problems, But a Boss Ain't One.